Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. When I'm not feeling like I'm in my A game, I go to the mirror, I put on the red lipstick. It, I have that recall, that muscle memory of the days where I was actually kicking ass and I was wearing the red lipstick. So it, it's a symbolic tiny thing that you associate with whatever behavior that you want to sustain. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hi, everybody. You're welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. I am Benefit KB, a front-end engineer at CAT Consulting Limited, and also a lead at the Women Who Code front-end track. So today we have with us Helen Mary Lambo Barameda. She's a quality assurance manager at an international nonprofit organization. You're very much welcome, Helen. Hi, Faith. Thanks so much for having me as a guest in okay. Women Who Code. So I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Women Who Code for years. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, happy International Women's Month also to us. Oh, thank you. And you too. Yes. All right, so today we'll be talking about transitioning to management from being an individual technical contributor. So I would like to know what has got you interested in technology? Everybody has a story. I want to know about your own story. Okay, so my journey into technology started with, strangely, it started with engineering. So, but it's not it's not even computer engineering or computer science related technology courses. It was about geomatics. Uh, it was about maps and geographic information systems. So, I was doing doing some disaster management projects before when I was uh, still a GIS engineer. And then the back end of those GIS software happened to be coded in Python. So I started extending functionalities in Python. And then slowly I was exiting engineering in the traditional sense. And I was entering web development. And then I was developing websites. And then later I was cleaning data sets and preparing them. And then I got into digital marketing. So it's what many people would call, uh, I call it a portfolio career as well. Portfolio meaning you have a diverse set of interests. So a lot of people in our field tend to specialize in a certain way. My track to discovering my career path is more of that of a T-shaped type, like a generalist style. So before I became a licensed engineer, I was writing press releases and feature articles to fund my engineering education. So those soft skills turned out to be very beneficial. So I, it helped me build my communication skills in so many ways. And it came in handy when I transitioned from being a technology contributor into a, a manager. Oh, wow, wow. I, I usually tell people like every baby step, every little, little thing you do in tech, it's, it's, it counts. At the end of the day, it's going to, at the end of the day, when you, you're trying to transition to something else, you just realize that whatever you have done before, it ha comes handy at the end of the day. So it's awesome, nice journey, and I'm glad. And um, when I got through, I went through your LinkedIn profile, I saw you have an interesting 
career journey. I mean, from being a technical writer to a data engineer to becoming a manager and technology in marketing and technology integrator uh, and uh, an analyst. Wow, you have a very interesting career journey. And that's really good. So I wanted to tell us a little about your professional journey. Like what, what actually got you to do all of this? Okay, um, I'm a very curious person by default. So I have a very diverse set of interests. So like, for example, on my downtime, sometimes you'd find me doing calligraphy. Sometimes you'd find me writing screenplay acts. So I have, I have those side activities that I do. I also read around 70 to 80 books per year. But last year, I didn't meet my goals. So I only, yeah, right? So I... I'm very curious about multiple topics. I think what really magnetized me towards technology as a whole, because if you look at the demographic, what it had in common is that it always allows me to be creative in a technical way. It's a bunch of different roles, right? In digital marketing, you're trying to grow markets. You're trying to win consumers to the brand using technical methods like technical SEO or lead generation methods. When you're doing data analytics, you're wrangling raw data from the database to build consumer insights, management insights. When you're managing an IT team, you're trying to see if the service delivery was done and you're still using technology. You're pulling data from SQL, you're analyzing workloads and stuff. So what I think puts these all, these all seemingly unrelated things in a single whole is the fact that it uses technical a technical base or foundation with which you can do creative solutions to big problems with other people. So I think that's kind of like the all-encompassing all-encompassing lens with which I see the work that was done. Like instead of climbing a ladder, I had detours. But then there was also the life journey part of it. Uh, I have two sons, a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old toddler. And I also recently have a puppy, a Shih Tzu, who's also a baby. But like these, these career decisions that I made, they are more of lifestyle choices as well. So when I was still an engineer and my husband and I weren't married yet, uh, I was usually deployed as an engineer to rivers, barracks. I would live for two months away from my family. And, you know, when I was getting married, I just realized he's a lawyer and I'm being deployed to rivers for three months at a time. It's not suitable for building a family. So many of the decisions that I made for my career, it was driven by love. <laughs> she sees it myself. It's love. It's 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 wanting to make lifestyle choices. Like now, um, currently my current place of work allows a hybrid setup, so I'm able to take care of my sons. I'm able to do meaningful work that resonates with me at a very deep level, and uh, I'm able to make choices um around my life that at the same time gives me the intellectual stimulation that we need as women. You know, we're not just we're not just breast milk dispensers. We're not just we're not just mothers taking kids to school. Like we're also professionals. We have something to bring to the table. So there's this sort of satisfaction you get 
in being a professional where your your own views, your professional contribution matters. Yeah. That's that's good. Um trying as much as possible to carry your family along even while you're building your career. That's amazing. And um, not everybody can make that decision, but you did, and you're still here as a manager. So that's that's interesting. So um I'd love to know what was it like moving from the private sector to government, then startups? What were some of the pros and cons of each of those times? Okay. Very, very interesting question. So okay, so right now at this point, I work in a small firm, uh, a consultancy. I work I'm now working in a big organization now. <laughs> so I also worked in startups for six years. And then I worked in government. So in government and big and big organizations as a whole, agility is not something you expect. There are SOPs, protocols, processes. But then it's like, you know, the concept of a polymath. You have more brains for big, wicked problems. It's like if 150,000 people are in the same organization with the same goal, it's a very big change. That tiny memo you send out, that little piece of code you push on GitHub, it goes a very long way. Yeah. Like it's, it's an impact scale thing. I do a small thing in this big org with a big cost, and the returns of that small thing is big. But the agility is not that high. If you work in a startup, if you work in a consultancy, you wear many hats. So you're doing business dev, you're coding, sometimes you're writing the reports as well. It's not, it's not a very unusual in a startup scenario where I'm in marketing, but I'm sort of doing data analytics. Sometimes I'm doing the business dev. Sometimes I'm pitching to executives. So like the clarity of post, the chain of command is not as high. But then right. there's the flat structure. You go to the CEO, hey, I have an idea. And the CEO says, let's go. Let's do it. Tomorrow you'll get to do it. But then when you go to the big org, you're like, you need the approval of this person. You need the approval of this. It's not to say one is better than the other. It's more of where are you in your journey? So if I'm a fresh graduate, for example, I just came from college, I want to gain as much experience as I can, and I want to see what kind of field I'd be in, it would be great to be in a consultancy in a small firm where you're doing business dev, you're doing code, you're doing a bunch of things, you're learning different things from different departments all at once, and you're young and able to take it on. So when you're in the mid-level, like, I'm in my mid-30s, so I was able to work in a bunch of startups, able to consult, able to freelance, able to work in government. I started to look for legacy. I started to look for what is that work that I can do for 10 years that when my children grow up and say, this is, the, this is why, this is why I'm, a, I'm not in your school play, you know, like I did this. This is what I was doing. Like I was doing, I was trying to make the world a better place, even though we're not physically together. So I'm trying to find meaning, legacy, the ability to evolve with a certain big org and to actually have that moving power to move things along. So it's really more of, it's not that startups are good, 
large orgs are bad or big orgs have better perks and startups don't have enough benefits. Those are the pros and cons, whatever they may be. But it's more of what fits me. Where am I in my journey? And given these options, what would give me the best? Where, where is the environment that would allow me to be the best version of myself, of my professional self? So that's usually how I frame my decisions. So like, for example, now I'm almost hitting my 40s. We already know about, you know, uh, programming culture. We know about this. We know about microaggressions in the workplace. You know this for sure. You've worked in technology for so long, right? We know about these hurdles that we as women have extra in excess of what you have when you're trying to build a career in technology, right? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, when you approach your 40s, you start to worry, am I aging? (laughs) Am I aging? Is the tech stack that I studied five years ago still relevant? Or do I have to learn Julia? Or how much SQL do I have to learn in the next two years? Can my memory handle it? Do I need vitamins to, you know, study new syntax, you know? So you start, you start going through those crossroads. You're no longer just, like in your early 20s, you usually take a slingshot. You send your resume everywhere. Yeah. Right? In your mid-30s, you're more strategic. You're more intentional with how you use your time. I'm getting old. My blood pressure gets up when I eat too much of this and that. I can no longer do 16-hour shifts like I used to in my early 20s. And then you become more intentional with, with everything, your choices, your food, how you use your time you can no longer stay up until 2 a.m pushing code but you're able to develop other things you you actually move up uh, when you're moving up like when you come as a technical contributor early in your career you push code you go home you sometimes worry about the bills because you're not paid the managerial salary but you don't have the managerial headaches that come with the managerial salary right but then when you go managing people they have, they have, I'm not happy with my job. I got a counter offer. <laughs> you, you start, you know, like with code, it's predictable. You know, you syntax, you forget the semicolon on the PHP code, it breaks. You put back the semicolon, it fixes itself. But when, when your direct report breaks <laughs> during a critical delivery to a project, how do you fix that? You know, there's no coding bootcamp or computer science degree that will teach you how yeah, that works. Yeah. So few people would say the shock that comes with it. You start to move up, you start to manage people. And you say, I see a lot of people in the middle level not having the training to manage people. Exactly. But they're so good at being technical contributors. So when they move up, the very same thing that made them good as technical contributors becomes a disadvantage. <laughs> so uh, I give an example. So there was someone, a very introverted person. I worked with her a very long time ago. So whenever she goes on leave, the volume of work drops, production drops. So she knows that she's the absolute workhorse, right? But she doesn't talk to anyone. Typical, right? Think, guys. The the workhorse who doesn't talk gets promoted, right? Becomes a leader. Leads some 10 people. So now... She was perceived as a snob because she just wants to get things done. She was still trying to accomplish the new role in the same way that she was doing as a technical contributor. Mm. And it became a disadvantage. You need to reach out. 
you're no longer just minding your accountability. Okay, I screwed up that code. Boohoo, tomorrow I fix it, right? But your your team screws up the code. You have to explain to higher management. We okay. screwed up. Even if it's not you, it's someone from under your team who did that. But then you take ownership instead of throwing them under the bus. So these things become more prominent when you when you age, when you start managing people, you know. So when I was starting out as well, managing people, I didn't have I didn't know how those things work. <laughs> I mean, I came from an engineering degree. They don't have, well, you do have like economics classes, maybe a bit of a business course here and there, but they don't tell you like psychological symptoms of an employee who's about to leave or uh, how do you deal with a competent but hostile team member who hates your leadership but is delivering good outputs? Or how do you handle microaggressions who go against women leaders who only believes in male managers? So these are things you do not learn in school, but you face them on a daily basis if you're trying to make a living as a technology professional. And breaking that glass ceiling, uh, you know, having these discussions, we don't have enough of it, to be honest. That's why, that's why I love, I'm very engaged about this topic because I feel like, I feel like it's not being talked about enough, but it's very meaningful, like, especially now, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is. I, I, I can relate, especially when we were talking about uh, working in a startup, actually working in a startup, and I know how much it is. You just have to be around everything, learn everything. It's, it's, right. it's, help, it's helpful, yes. It's also helpful at uh, while growing up in your career, but also looking at it, you're juggling a whole lot. And then I think for uh, a whole lot of persons, a whole lot of techies, they should be able to um, relate and communicate. I think communication is one of the things that techies don't really have. Most techies, let me not say every techie, most techies, they are always, oh, I just want to face my my laptop, face myself, do my work, do my tasks, and get this done. And they're not looking at any other person. And when you become a manager, it actually affects you, affects how you communicate with your team. And it's, it's okay, that's awesome. Nice word. So, um, I, I love to know. As a free, I'm I'm a freelance writer, freelance technical writer also. So I just am nice. curious about this. So throughout your career, you have worked with big data, and you've also worked with free as a freelance writer and technical writer. So how have you been able to balance those for very different skill sets? So I'm a front end engineer and also a freelance writer. So I want to know how being able. So I I have to do that myself to. All right, so. Okay, um, I get this question a lot, to be honest, like pers- on the personal level and even on guesting. Right? How do you do it? Like, yeah, right now I have masters, two kids. I have no hobby, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, this is something I taught someone that I managed last year. Uh, he left, he got pirated for twice twice what we were offering so he was he's very good at his job so what i told him is that you stop you need to be complete with the incompleteness of things okay so there are things that has a start and an end but then it never really ends right so the concept is more of 
allotting time slots for areas instead of tasks. Say, for example, if I'm right now, I'm in my podcast guesting time slot. This is my giving back time slot, right? Okay. Giving back to the community of women who has encouraged me. Like, the women who code newsletters got me through the worst and the best times of my life. That thing in my inbox that goes in every... So whoever's doing those women who code marketing collateral, yeah. so much love. Yeah. <laughs> so much love. Because... Does it help me? There were so many resources that I was able to use, especially when I was moving up from technical contributor to manager. So that's the thing. You think in terms of allocation. So it's like I, I don't multitask anymore, to be honest. I do more intentional focused work because the intentional focused work, one hour of intentional deep focused work is worth eight hours of normal work. You're able to accomplish so much more. So I usually like the cognitive overload of having 16 things on a task list is also mentally very taxing. So you usually find the three, one to three things that has the biggest impact. And you do that first thing in the morning. And then the side tasks go in the afternoon. And then I usually have a shutdown day, which is Sunday. I, as much as possible, keep it sacred. I don't do anything. I'm a hot dog on Sundays. <laughs> so it's like gone, shut down. Like computers, shut down. We also need that downtime because there are two modes in the brain. It's the main mode where you're always active. The diffuse mode is when, you know, like Archimedes, he was doing the bubble bath and he, boom, Eureka, you know. So usually I have those moments. Like I'm, I'm currently doing my research in grad school. I was trying to crack a technical problem. I was thinking about it for three days and then I just dropped it. I slept, I woke up, boom. I, I think I figure out how to fix it. So no, you cannot have, cannot have those inspired moments if you're filling your schedule every minute. You need the downtime in between. And you need to be complete in the incomplete. So I'm a type A personality by default. Uh, what I usually do is I do a sustain a meditation practice in the morning. It centers me. Keeps me keeps me even. Like, okay, things will go crazy. Things will happen. <laughs> but this morning, I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to breathe for 30 minutes. That's it. And then... Everything else follows. So if I don't do that breathing for 30 minutes, the whole day is messed up. Really. So I usually have those. So I'm a huge fan of James Clear's Atomic Habits. There's this thing called habit stacking. You begin with the breathe, and then you start brushing your teeth, then you take a bath. So I usually also put in like neuro-linguistic programming anchors. Like if I want to be productive, I associate, when I'm being extra productive, I did it for a while. I wore red lipstick every time I'm doing amazing work. I put it. That's it. So what no. happened? What happened is I have the reverse. When I'm not feeling like I'm in my A game, I go to the mirror. I put on the red lipstick. It. I have that recall, that muscle memory of the days where I was actually kicking ass and I was wearing the red lipstick so it, it's a symbolic tiny thing that you associate with whatever behavior that you want to sustain 
So for me, it's wearing red lipstick when I want to be super productive. So it's a hack. It's it's uh it's it's called behavior design. Uh, there's a book called Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. He discussed it. So uh, I was doing it. I also took some courses in neurolinguistic programming. So I do some tiny things that accumulate or snowball into productive, amazing things. So I usually associate other things. So when I'm, what else? What else do I do? Yeah, so I step on the grass when I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know, the sense of the ground carrying my feet gives me the sensation of you are held, you are okay. So you have those coping mechanisms. Uh, it's it, it varies from person to person. But yeah, so yeah, I'm not sure if that helps anybody, but we're always in front of computers. Like moving helps me a lot. I usually have a pull-up bar while I just, you know, let my posture hang. I have those stretching, stretching stuff that I have upstairs. So if I need like to just stand up, deal with the lower back pain, I get a massage twice a month. So never, never harms you to have a massage twice a month. So. Taking notes. <laughs> right. Taking down notes. <laughs> and and this is something I also noticed with women in technology. You feel guilty when you take a day off, and that's something you need to correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, you you say I matter, my needs matter. We usually just giving it so much. We, okay, I need, but I need to push this card. Yeah, just one more hour. Just one more email. But like every time, every tiny time that you spend outside of, you know, on your rest day that you do for those things, you're stealing self care time. And it becomes, you know, the concept of technical depth, right? Yeah, you have this mountain of technical work that comes when you do shortcuts in the code, right? You also accumulate the self-care depth when you start getting sick. You start, you know, losing, you start losing your in-game because you're not in your best shape. You're not recharging. You're like a phone running on empty. So I think it's important to know what your limits are. Also, it's important to to have diversity in what you do on a daily basis and just be complete in the incomplete. It never ends. It never ends, Faith. <laughs> even, oh, right, if, right. even, if you, even if you're 20 hours, there will always be something. There's always sure. a new feature. There's always a new product. There's always a new project. Exactly. Right? A new problem, too. <laughs> right? So, so if, you don't, if you don't put the stop, if you don't put the stop, it just it just it just becomes really disastrous when, when you don't put the stops yeah sure it never ends holders and if we don't take a break once in a while we'll, we'll just have to break down i've seen a whole lot of techies once in a while they break down because they always always on their system what are you doing just take a break leave the bug alone for a while please <laughs> it happens to me also <laughs> Because you, yeah. you push when you're in the flow state, you want to sustain it. You don't want to let it go. It's it, it's also, de- it's strangely like, I also realize like when you're detaching yourself, you become more effective at work. I'm not sure if you've had the same experience. It's like when you're so attached, you get, you get really, I don't know, it just it just sometimes screws it up. Like if you're, if you're detached with the outcome, you're able to put in your best work 
because you're not babying it. You know, like when you're killing your baby, like, but this is my baby. I, I work so hard on it. Like, even if it's no longer the optimal solution, one, two years down the line, this is my baby. <laughs> so if you're so attached to what you did two years ago, you're not able to innovate. You're not able to welcome disruptive ideas that are actually necessary for growth. So in that case, sometimes like having a fresh perspective of someone else to challenge your views is important. This is why I always upskill. Like I always make time to learn because you're always busy. You fight to make time for the things that matter. So me going to grad school, Uh, there's a diverse age range in grad school. So people who are 15, 20 years younger than me are there. And there are people who are my age range. And then there are people 10 years older than me. And we are in the same class. And we approach things differently. And we're from different industries. That kind of diversity, it's not something you get from an online course. So I, 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 I diversify the way I learn. I consume books a lot of books i listen to audiobooks podcasts like women who code for example uh i also participate in brown bags events uh grad school on a face-to-face level and trying to just understand things you know um also i realized that when you're dabbling in different interests you have a better understanding of people you're not just exposed to one group of people you have a better understanding of human behavior what makes us universal so for example uh, last year i was had the chance to go to europe for the first time i'm from asia it was a work trip but you know like even if i didn't speak their language i saw that we spoke the universal language of kindness But kindness can be recognized, whether here or there, you know. And I think it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful to have those moments. Um, so I feel like that kind of perspective also helps when you're starting to move up. Just circling back to the topic, right? Um, when you're starting to manage people, they're not as predictable as technical contributions are. <laughs> It's like you start to think more in terms of impact. You start to think in terms of lives. You start to think that this action of mine will affect this person in this way. <laughs> so, and then... um you start to build that empathy that this person did not have the same background as I have. It, he or she did not study in the same school. He or she did not build his or her career in the same way. And this is why he or she thinks that way. So it's like, it's it really is such a tightrope balancing act kind of thing, uh, moving up from a technical contribution role. Because on the one hand, you need to hold room for others. But then at the same time, you don't give to the point that you're being damaged or exploited. Sure. So how do you find that middle? I don't know. Like, there's so many, so many factors at play. Like culture, for example, the culture of the environment you're in, the culture of the organization you're in, right? Is it, is it inclusive by name or really inclusive, like really celebrating diversity? 
or inclusive by name but not really celebrating the inclusivity in actual situations, right? So it's easy to put inclusivity on a mission statement. It's hard to live it, to be honest. <laughs> You'll only find out when you're there. You, you find out when you're actually there doing the work, rolling up your sleeve, showing up and doing the code or whatever it is that you're paid to do for the technical. Yeah. That's good. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, can you tell us about a winning prototype in the Global Nassau Space App Challenge Hackathon? So tell us about creating that winning prototype. I, I want to know. Okay. Um, well, Right, yeah. Um, this this uh, NASA challenge. I didn't want to join. <laughs> so weird. But I had a mentor. No, I was shy. I was shy. I wanted. There was five. There was five of us there. It was a team thing. Uh, I was working in Serolytics at the time. It was a social. It, it's a social impact company. So I really admired the CTO. His name is Dominic Ligot. Uh, he he encouraged me. So we went on a Google Meet call similar to this one. And he said, Yay, H, you need to join. Just try. Just join the group. I mean, you seem interested with it. I had so many excuses. I said, I have no babysitter. It's COVID. Blah, blah, blah. You know, all those excuses. And he was having none of it. And he was saying, you just try. What if you win? It's so weird because we actually won <laughs> like wow. 2,000 submissions, right? Globally. And we were one of the six winners and we got the best use of that. I can't believe it. And I wasn't supposed to join. Like he went on a Google Meet call with me May 28th. The hackathon was May 30 to 31. I literally signed up May 29, um, 12 hours before wow. the event. It wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. And and the fact was, I was I just gave birth to my youngest son that year, and then COVID oh. happened, and I lost the job opportunity because they had to freeze hiring because they were impacted by COVID, and then I didn't know what to do, so I I joined this project with him with our mentor that time, and then it's like the whole thing that whole year it wasn't planned i was supposed to be an off in an eight to five office somewhere some 15 kilometers from my house but i ended up joining a hackathon my mother-in-law my husband watching the kids while i was doing some code with four others using a google sheet and github because it was covid you know we weren't face to face and then three months later we got shortlisted another three months later we were listed as a global winner. So we use diverse data sets. So I mentioned earlier about the synergy of having a diverse uh, diverse interaction, right? So in the group, there was someone with a humanities background. There was one with a banking and finance background. I'm an engineer. There was one doing legal rights, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was one who was a management engineer. So we, there was not, there were no two persons who had the same job, basically. What we all had in common was a curiosity for data. That's it. Now we joined forces and then we won after six months. So the prototype was like a traffic light system, basically. It detects, at the time, it wasn't that easy 
to do those forecasts, it was six months in the onset of COVID. There was around four months of data at the time. It's not like now where we actually have historical data sets of COVID, right? So at the time that we built the prototype, it was just three, four months of data. And then we, we, we did a prototype that would predict if the economic, the economic state of that country is in danger or is it good or is it in a yellow or amber state or needs attention based on the data coming in. So it was a nowcaster of sorts on the economic health of a country. And then, um, yeah, we we won after six months, and then so far, so far that's how it went. Um, it's actually my first time to join a hackathon. <laughs> Come to think of it. Wow, are you won? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, but like just thinking about it now, like it wasn't planned. I was. I was supposed to be in an office. Uh, you know, somebody ate a bat in China and everybody had to stay home. <laughs> you know, like, could you, right? And then there was this event that they usually host in a building with a bunch of nerds for a whole weekend. And now they cannot put all the nerds in one building. So they decided to do it offline for the first time, online, you know. So I joined. I got to join. Because I didn't get to join in the past because, you know, I was breastfeeding. I was taking care of my toddler. You know, who leaves a toddler for 48 hours for a code, right? I can't. I, it's one of my limitations. I'm living in suburbia. You know, like, if you look at my house now, like, there's a dog, the garden, the fence, you know. You know, the the apron thing. I have that. I don't, I don't cook, though, I guess. I, I, you can't eat it if I cook, so, yeah. I cook, I cook code. <laughs> I cook code. Yeah, yeah I cook code. That's yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, um, it wasn't planned, but then it just sort of happened, like magic, that year really, very magical year. Sometimes when things don't go as planned, I think of that moment and I realize, hmm, maybe something's being given to me. Something else is being given to me. That's why it happened the way it did. Yeah. Thing was planned, and then at the end of the came out fine. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, and um, how how was your experience moving from technical contributor to being a manager? You know, managing people it's something that I I find it really difficult because of a whole lot of people have different backgrounds and they try to be under you and you know the whole character thing. So how has it been? trying to manage people from being a technical contributor? Very hard. <laughs> very hard. It's very challenging. Nobody trains us for this. It's like, really? Right. right? You just don't, like, wow. I just, I just don't know. Like, sometimes you would realize you send this meaningful email that increased the salary of the team. And that's what you've done for the whole day. That's your one big thing. And it's very jolting if you're used to, say, pushing 100 lines of code after an eight-hour shift. And then all of a sudden, the work that you do is different. It's not less meaningful. It's just that from building the product yourself, you're now pushing the people building the product. You're now taking ownership. You're now 
in the front line when your team is under fire from other teams. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like there are so many things. Like there's also this thing called representation. Like you're not okay. There will be people who are not technical who will have a say on where the budget will go for you for the year. And then it becomes important that you represent your group in those settings properly. Your PowerPoint skills become prominent. Your public speaking skills become more important. Yeah, makes sense. But then before, you could just quietly sit in your ivory tower wherever it is in your cubicle. You just quietly don't disturb me. I don't want to talk to you. But then these, you start to have these things that you consider like like it's about relationships and and you have so many things to consider that you cannot predict you don't know what kind of group you'll be having to begin with but i think the very important thing is you have a tight ship meaning you all have the same goal no matter how different you are the second is that something you're not going to see in job descriptions you can be paper qualified but you're not a culture fit And it's like swimming against the current when you're working, but you're not a culture fit. Okay? So they're not, you don't go with they're toxic, they're evil, I'm a victim. No, it's not like that at all. It's like, it's not a fit. It's, I fit. It's like, it it takes a high level of self-awareness to to recognize if it's not working. Um, Say, for example, I, for myself, I get triggered with this. I thrive and do my best work with this. So I actually observe there are some people, 20 years in their job, they actually decline management roles. There are technical contributors like that. Legends. (laughs) People that live in cabins in the woods, God knows where, push the really powerful code that nobody else can do just because they can, and they decline. I don't like managing people. It's not my strength. So they have the high level of self-awareness that I'm not getting the salary increase because I can't handle that that kind of responsibility. There's 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 this very big transition. There's this very big shift. And usually when you become a manager, it's an on switch. Boom, you become it, right? <laughs> the next paycheck reflects it. But then you, are you ready, right? They'll be like, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Like in big orgs, you have those management trainings or whatever. But is it blob fit? Like in the subgroups, there are cultures as well. And then you also become very mindful of the thermostat you're setting in the team. So before, when you were a dev, you have your favorite friends. Yeah, I like these guys. I, I like having lunch with these guys. But then you become the manager. Now you have to manage the people you like and people you don't personally like. like. <laughs> people whose work styles don't align with yours. And then this is also something I notice with people in mid-level like, this is, has to be done this way. This has to be done this way. So you have to break free of that. You have to allow people to be themselves. <gasps> this is who they are. But of course, I draw I draw my deal breakers when it comes to this. When you're a woman women woman in technology and you're moving up, you also need to know what your deal breakers are. I do not want to be disrespected. I do not want to be bullied. Okay? I I will tolerate this 
but I will not allow that. So, like, I see that it's very essential to set boundaries. People tend to abuse him. Women are natural nurturers. <laughs> we tend to give up ourselves a lot. Right? Sometimes we forget ourselves. Yeah. And when we don't set the boundaries to others, they also forget that we need to have the boundaries. And it becomes a very unhealthy or toxic cycle. So, I think setting boundaries was important. Also, having a clarity on what works for you. Because if you're not self-aware, you will end up in situations where, why is this happening to me? Actually, it's very interesting. You approach it with curiosity. It's happening again. It's a pattern. What must break? So, I end this cycle and I graduate from it. Because if you don't understand the dynamics behind it, you repeat it. Also, that's another interesting thing. You pass on the same trauma you got <laughs> moving on. If you don't deal with it, there's a lot of emotional damage from brilliant mentors. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of geniuses who've been bullied as little kids. They didn't get the therapy. They become really good at their jobs on the technical side. And when they become okay. bosses, they become bullies as well. So how do you move up I was bullied by this senior because he's so good to endure it for a few years because I needed the technical expertise that this guy bullied me. I become a manager. How do you not bully the guys coming in next? So it's like when you're becoming a manager and you try to be self-aware, when you set boundaries, you're kind of a curse breaker. You're breaking the curse of unhealthy practices from previous managers who gave you the technical expertise with maximum emotional damage. And at the same time, you're trying to move up. And then you're also trying to mind the career decisions you're making that will impact the ones who are reporting under you. So it's a very, very delicate position to be in, to be honest. That that first management role, like the second, the third, you start to develop your, you know, your your style, you know. You start to figure out, okay, I can do this. Okay, I get this talkative dev to talk to the other guys, you know. So I don't want to deal with them. You know, you have those things, you know. You start to develop your strategies, play to your strengths. But when you're starting out, like, you just push into it. Okay, boom, you got promoted. Now manage these people. And then you still have to deliver. So that adjustment stage comes with its own shock. I think uh, I think it's not being talked about a lot. People people need to talk about that because uh, uh, there's there's this very large transition stage, mm. and the support the support of your line manager becomes critical in this stage. Yeah. Because if you if you're worried about your direct reports and then you're worried about your line manager at the same time, how can you stay sane, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. You have to have someone watching out for you and mentoring you. This is the first thing I look for in any job. I look for the mentor. Uh, because the mentor keeps you grounded. It has to be... The line manager is okay. But I usually get the mentor who is brilliant in technology but has a certain level of detachment to what I do at work. So someone from another team who is senior, for example. Or someone from the same team but in another unit. And then I would talk to this person just to, you know, unwind my head. Uh, am I seeing thing, this thing right? 
am I doing it the right way, you know? So it usually helps to have that input. And then you also could get a lot of benefit from 360 feedback. Okay, you're being a snob. Wow, being a snob. I'm not being a snob. I just want to get things done. But then you're being perceived as that. You cannot just let that hang when someone from the team is being hostile and sending you barbs like that. You have to address those things in, in the most respectful way possible. But you don't let those, their team form tiny groups <laughs> while you figure out your management role. So it's, 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 it's very surprising you don't get a lot of information on these. You learn these things on the job, right? Sure. I think feedbacks are also feedback. I, I know I do that a whole lot when I'm leading a team. So I, I try as much as possible to tell, allow them tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I'm not doing okay and everything. It, it's important for right. managers and people leading teams to do that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. Oh, right. um, I know you have like some challenges in, on this journey. You have you faced a whole lot of challenge. Even as a woman, you faced a whole lot of challenge. And I need you to tell me how you were able to overcome those challenges. Okay. Does it ever end, Faith? Like, to be honest, like, there's always something, right? Um, like, you climb higher, more challenges more challenge, higher and higher and higher. It keeps coming. Right. Okay, so how do I handle Um, The very first thing I do when I feel like I'm undergoing a very personal challenge, I try not... I try... I try to understand the root cause. But I cannot intellectualize it, you know? Like, when you're upset, you cannot say, I'm fine, but you're... <laughs> you're not fine right so you need to process it first and then the very one of the very first things that go when i'm challenged is that my sense of safety is shaky so you try to find that psychological sense of safety again that neutral i can't be happy i can be neutral <laughs> right yeah. so, and then you try to get there so it's like uh, I saw this before. There was a meme like there's a good day checklist and a bad day checklist. On a good day checklist, I have like 10 items. Go push this code and analyze this and this report to my boss, blah, blah, blah. On a bad day checklist, it's just take a bath, brush your teeth. That's it. <laughs> so it's like um, I learned to acknowledge when I need to take that bad day checklist if I need it. I process it. Because if you shove it under the rug, it will come out sooner or later in another form, 10 to 20 times more intense than it was originally. So, oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so, I just usually, I, I, I process it. Uh, I I go through whatever it is that I need to feel at that moment. I also tell myself that, hey, uh, you matter. It's okay to make room. It's okay to have this challenge. And you're perfectly human for processing this challenge in a way that feels safe for you. Right? So it's just, it's really more of self-care. 
when I'm challenged. Yeah. I, yeah. I give that space. Um, because if I start going like this person needs to treat me like this, the situation should be like this. It's 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 in the context of things I cannot control. But when it comes to me, like how can I make me feel better? What will immediately switch me to a frequency of good energy? That is something I can okay. work with. So That's I stop. But it's hard. It's hard. Especially when yeah. you're emotional. But the side of it's not easy. I have I have my days as well. Uh, it's not very easy building a career in technology as a woman. You really have to be strong to be able to go through what we usually go through as women in tech. But you also need to hold room for yourself. And you actually not feel guilty about it. Okay. And taking this day off, it's not, I am not productive today. So, yeah. Okay, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Okay, so um, what about for women looking to get into technology? What's what is your advice? What's what advice do you have for them? Okay, um, this is counterintuitive because I see a lot of women don't do it just for the money, primarily. <laughs> okay. Don't do it just for the money. Um, it has to be more than that. Like you need you need to have a bigger, bigger reason for doing it, for approaching this this field. Because the moment you see the challenges, you might <laughs> you might see that the pay is not worth it. But if you're doing it for a very good purpose, if you believe in what you're doing it for, why you're building this tech why you're developing this skill like be more driven by purpose uh than 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 things that easily fade that's the way you will have lasting power uh in your career in oh okay that's amazing okay so can you tell us the final thoughts what's what are your final thoughts for this what are your final thoughts i would love to know Mm, yeah, I just I just hope we're able to help uh, someone who's in that stage. Because uh, if you're in that stage, you're mid-level or you're new to technology, um, you don't have to go through it alone. Like, yeah, like physically, you may be in your room, you're listening to this podcast, but you're not really alone. Like there's a whole movement of women who has gone before you, going with you now, and will be going with it with you in the future so whatever you learn i hope you pay it forward because i got i got to where i am in techno in my technology career because a lot of people helped me so i hope that you also become that person for another woman in the future given how hard it is to break the glass ceiling so faith thank you uh enjoy also so, so i appreciate the guesting yeah Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really learned a lot. I was really taking notes, trying to write down a whole lot of things I've learned. Trust me, I'm going to go over and over this podcast because I've really learned a lot and it was really educative. We appreciate you listening to our podcast today and I have learned a lot and I think the audience has to. And sadly, this is all we can handle for this episode.
Thank you so much, Helene. And so um, we can go to all our socials at Human Code if you want to connect with us. So we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we are on Instagram. Just go to all our socials. Thank you very much once again. All right. Have a nice one. Jayla, are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I have to give a second. <laughs> uh, so thank you, that was so good. That was, thank you. Yeah. Is it okay? I didn't know. No, I did. I'm so sorry. The last part I was a bit blasted. Yeah. Okay. I I I it's I have kids. To do that. Um, the one thing, Faith, at the very end, when, when you were just giving your sign off, your, your internet cut out and you sort of like stalled out. Could you do maybe like a 15 second? Just okay. So can I do that back? Real quick. Okay, sure, I can. Sure, I can do that. All right. All right. Okay, so we appreciate you listening to our podcast today. Thank you very much, Helene, and have learned a lot, and I think the audience have too. So sadly, this is all we can handle for today on this episode. So um, we could, if you wanted to connect with us on whom, at Human Code, we, are, we have all our socials. Um, oh, please, can I do that again? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please. Uh, of course. Uh, I didn't know it's awkward uh, like this but oh, okay. I, I don't know how to, I, I think I'm not I'm not going to do that okay let me just do this okay. all right so thank you very much Helen for joining us today we appreciate you and um thank you to everyone that listened to our podcast today have learned a lot and I think the audience has too sadly this is all we can handle for this episode on all our social network you may connect with Human Code we're on Facebook we're on Instagram we're on Twitter do connect with us. I would love to hear from you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.